0: Why do we like babies so much? You know, when they come out, they're really ugly. I'm sorry. When they first come out, if you've never seen that, they're covered, they're, their heads are coned. You know, you think, is he going to stay like that? But you hold him and you go, oh, they're beautiful. They're my baby. And my grandson, I'm sorry. You know, I know grandparents say they kids look good, but I'm sorry, my grandson looks good, Okay. The guy, I'll be taking applications to marry him. But you gotta work through me. Why do we like children? Why do we get excited when we see little kids run by, especially the little tiny ones? Why? Because it makes us think of a world that we were created to be a part of, it makes us go back to when things were good. When happily ever after at the end of the story was a reality. When your parents read it or you grew up and you could read it and you thought, yeah, isn't that the way it is? Fairy tales come true. It's always happily ever after. And then life. And then events. And then traumas and pains and hurts. And and we go from eternal optimists. The skeptics at best. Jaded hurt. We're going to talk about relationships today. If you remember those before you entered Loma Linda, we encourage you to have relationships while you're in Loma Linda because we certainly would be a joy. Pastor Dillis and I would love to do your wedding. We're We're just saying you've got a good choice. Look around you. It doesn't get better than this. Take advantage of it. So we're having this to help you understand or learn or remember relationships. Jump into both hemispheres of your brain this week. We want to talk about tough questions. And thanks a lot. I got one of the toughest ones right off the bat. The question for today is, would you stay in a relationship with someone who cheated on you? I love the first guy, heck no. People are like, chop, gone, done. Why do we hate cheating so much? You know, we really shouldn't be surprised in our relationships when people cheat. We live in a society where cheating is, you know, the everyday thing. The amount of people that cheat, nobody here at Loma Linda, but those other institutions and in academics, <laughs> is epidemic. Even so, that we as professors, because I teach some courses too, we have our ways to fight back. You think you're techno savvy? We have certain programs that will search everything that you wrote to find where you Google cut and pasted it from. It's a high tech war. Why? We're used to cheating. Facebook, do you ever doctor your pictures before they go on? Do you pick the one that makes you look best? Do you tell the whole truth on Facebook? Or do you cheat? I don't know. And now, Of course, as we're going along, and and those of us that are paying income tax, you know, the IRS, April 15, we deserve it. They don't. We cheat. And you know what the reality is? We cheat on ourselves every day. We cheat on our lives. We don't live to the potential that we could have or experience. We cheat. We cheat on how we take care of ourselves, what we eat, all that wholeness stuff we say to you all the time. We cheat. We cheat on our relationships with others. We cut and paste. We put in life or career or goals. We cheat. So why is it so painful? Why is there so much angst in in the videos that we show? Don't you love those videos? We got them all week. They're so great. Why, Why is it that we feel so bad when someone cheats on us? And that could be a friend, that could be any relationships, but especially when you're in love and they cheat on you. Why does it hurt? Because we feel like they were disloyal to us. We gave something to that person. We gave ourselves. We gave uh, uh, of our feelings. And when someone cheats on us, when, when they don't handle that as precious as they should, we feel they're disloyal. We feel betrayed. You ever have a friend tell a secret that was intimate between you and them? Pretty soon it's blasted all over the place. Betrayed. We feel that our expectations have been let down. Worst of all, we feel that our hope is devastated and trust is destroyed. And when trust becomes destroyed, forget relationships. Because relationships are based on trust. Just like my little grandson up there. He has no clue what's happening in life. He just came out from a nice, warm place, and people are poking, prodding, taking his clothes off, clipping things. You know, kids just, I have a video of him the first day. He's just like, ah, 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 you know, he's like, what in the world put me back? <laughs> but he has no idea what he's in for, and unfortunately, we do. He will run and reach his arms out when he gets big enough. He will kiss and hug you. And and he will think the world is great until things are beating him down. I am like a grizzly bear right now. You come at my grandson. I don't care how old you think I am. I will hurt you before I go down. (laughs) But you know what? Thank you. Thank you. Yes. (laughs) The reality of it is he's going to get hurt. And bit by bit, his innocence will be chopped away. Because we live in a broken place. We live in a world of betrayal and cheating and hurting. And trust goes away. We hate how it feels. And how it makes us feel about ourselves. Because we feel devalued. And we feel deceived. So why would I open up to something like that again why would you stay in a relationship with someone who cheated on you why would you and how could you let's take a moment and pray father this 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 question is above and beyond us because for survival we have to wall up for survival we have to shut down emotions for survival we don't want to be hurt again So, Spirit, you just need to speak in a way that's outside of the box for us and our experience and our society and the world we live in. It's got to come from another place, Father. It's got to come from you. Reveal your way, your will, and your word to us this morning, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're a Christian and you read through Scripture, or you just read through Scripture or Bible stories or whatever, you have to come to the conclusion that God asks people to do weird things. Totally against how we're wired. He does it all the time. Sometimes we hear the stories so often, we're like, oh yeah, you know. But if you really stop, if you look at them through new eyes, it's crazy stuff. One like, for example, uh, build an ark. This giant boat on dry land where there's never been rain before. Okay, that one sounds logical to you. How about this one? We're going to defeat this mighty enemy. And here's what you do. You march around a city at the seventh time. Blow your horns and shout. And it'll all fall down. Go tell your army that one. Yeah. Or I like this one. The Israelites trapped against the ocean. The enemy army, the mightiest power in the world, bearing down on you. Just imagine all the drone planes hovering ready to nail you and missiles flying at you. And all the United States Army. And you go... What's God say to us? What do we do? Okay, let me pray. All right, God says, be still. That's about the last thing I think I'd want to do right about that. God asks us to do hard things because God knows things that we don't. He knows the end from the beginning. This is one of the craziest things, though. I don't know if you've ever read in the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. If you want to follow, there's Bibles there or, you know, follow along with me. I'm going to be looking for Hosea, uh, one, two, and three, somewhere around in there. Two and three, I think, specifically. Now, God comes to Hosea. Hosea is a prophet. Do you know what a prophet is? A prophet isn't only people that tell the future. A prophet is, also tells the people how God wants them to... Be. It's a mouthpiece of God, literally what the what the thing what the word means. So he's God's man. Uh, if you're used to a church tradition, he's a preacher. That's why what God asked him to do. I want you to think about it from that perspective. All right. And this is what God asked him to do. See if you, this makes any sense to you. He says to him in uh, Hosea chapter two, verse one, in the first part of chapter two. Listen. The Lord gave this message to Hosea, son of Biri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah, and Jeroboam, son of Jeho, or whatever, was king of Israel. (laughs) And this is what the Lord says to Hosea. Here it comes. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. Okay. Can you imagine if I was a much younger man and I was a single man and I announced to Loma Linda University, to all the administration, I'm getting married. Why, Chaplain Terry, who is the young woman? Well, I went over to Vegas Mustang Ranch and picked her up. (laughs) What's she do for a living? Oh, she's a prostitute. (laughs) Yeah, we want to talk to you. Don't announce this. Don't say anything. God tells Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Guys, I want you to go home. Get that call to mom. Skype her. Mom, dad, I'm getting married. Oh, who is she? <gasps> well, God told me to. Yeah. Sure. But it goes on. He says in the second part of chapter, uh, verse 2, so that some are, he said, so go and marry a prostitute. So that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So there's the key. God's saying, listen, I want to have a real-time marriage between you and the prostitute Gomer because I want it to be a metaphor, God says, for my relationship between my people and me. Now let's take stuff. Hosea is a prophet. He's a prominent guy in the nation. He's well-to-do. He's high-standing in the community. And he goes and does what no man in his right mind would and no man would have reason to do. How about Gomer? Now, yeah, Gomer. Gomer is worth nothing. She is at best a commodity. She has ceased to be a citizen of Israel, a daughter of God, a woman of any kind of standing. She is nothing. No hope of escape or status change. And she receives an unthinkable opportunity for a woman in her profession. So they marry. What does Gomer get? Gomer hits a jackpot. She gets new status. She gets a new personhood. She gains property and inheritance and care. And what does Hosea get? (laughs) Strange stares and whisper behind his back with questions of his sanity and doubts of the paternity of his children. God says, oh, by the way, Hosea, some of your kids, well, they're not going to be yours, but we just won't know because we don't have DNA testing right now. (laughs) You'd think that Gomer would be happy. I mean, wouldn't you? Dream come true. Bigger than that big, probably mm, close to equivalent of that mega lottery they had the other day. By the way, did any of you win that? Because, you know, donation to campus ministries, God would. Okay, you won't confess. She won the lottery. She hit the big prize. You think she'd be satisfied. You think she'd be happy. You think that nothing could get worse for Hosea, but you'd be wrong. Look at chapter 3. Something happened. The Lord said to Hosea, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And this will illustrate that the Lord loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So So Hosea says, I bought her back, for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. Gomer had everything, but it became worthless to her. Even after Hosea goes and does this and puts up with all the stares and the looks and probably just out and out, confrontation by people. Even though he goes past the first, second, third mile, that guy's a hundred miles down the road with what he did with Gomer. Even after all that, it's not good enough for her, and she goes back to prostitution. Talk about cheating. And Hosea goes and buys her back again. I mean, I, I wish we had time to unpack what went through Goburn's mind, that the best wasn't good enough. Maybe we could go into sexual addictions, uh, self, you know, issues of self-concept. I, I don't know, but she went back from the good life to that life, and Hosea went and found her and bought her back again. What do you think that experience was like for Hosea? Maybe she went back to the same pimp she had before. I don't know. The guy's like, back, hey. The bargain goes up, let's let you again. And and people talking and bringing her home again. you think it was bad the first time? What was the homecoming like in the village the second time? But Hosea goes and he gets her, and he buys her back. What is God trying to say to us? How in the world is he taking this story to apply it to our brokenness, our ruptured relationships? If someone cheats on us, or uh, how can this speak to us today? It's time we need to dig back into these passages and see what God is saying to us. So we go back to Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 2. It says, when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. And here it is. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. You see, God is saying, Listen, it isn't rituals, it isn't ceremony. God is saying that when the relationship, the love he has is like a groom with a bride, a husband for his wife, of complete open honesty, intimacy, a giving of all of his love. He's not satisfied with you singing three songs, past the offering plate, listen to someone talk and go home. You wouldn't get married and your spouse said, hey, I tell you what, okay, we're married. Uh, I see you for an hour this weekend, Saturday, Sunday, whichever day you choose on that, or maybe another day, and I'll come back next week and see you and sing a few songs, chant a few things and leave. I don't think that marriage will last very long. And God is saying, you did me wrong. Oh, my people, you have cheated on me. I've given, I've committed, I've loved you with all my love. Where are you going? What's this thing with other gods? What's this thing with other things that you have made the rulers of your life? Why have you done this to me? He goes on. Hosea 3, 3. Then the Lord said to him, Go and love your wife again. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. And this is why God says it. This will illustrate that the Lord still... Loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. (laughs) Wow. Hosea. I think Hosea was against this whole marriage idea to begin with. I think I would have balked at it. That's not my dream, girl. It's not the dream wife for my kids the dream mother of the lineage of the house of Swenson or your name okay God you're God how do you argue with God anyway he says do it okay alright I'll go I marry her alright I did it now i am being a good husband I'm being devoted I've fathered children we have a lineage going a son a girl a son we're moving along here bam uh, where's Gomer I haven't seen her News filters back. Oh, she's back downtown. She's back on the corner. You've got to be kidding me. God, fire from heaven? No. In fact, I want you to go get her again. What? Go buy her again. What? Go love her again. What? That's not a human love. But wouldn't you like to be loved like that? Let's flip it. Have you ever cheated? Have you ever cheated on someone? Have you ever cheated on a friendship, on a family relationship, on a love relationship, and you realize you did wrong and you want it back? Let's step into Gomer's shoes. Let's not the rocks at her. Let's point at her and realize we're pointing at ourselves. And what does the story God say here? This, this Old Testament crazy story with this prophet, God uses any way he can to get this message across. That number one, God loves us. Oh, not when we're all cleaned up and pretty. When we're a mess like Gomer, God says, that's my people, go get her. He says, I'm coming to get you because I love you so much. God saves us. God restores us us. God enters into intimate relationship with us. Deep, deep love and commitment with us. Who are we? And what have we done to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. But that's not the point. The point is this. It's not the point of what we do. It's all about who he is And what he, we mean to God. Do you know what we mean to God? Everything. 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 So what does this story of Hosea and Gomer mean to us? How can that speak to me when maybe there's some sitting right now, right here in this room, that someone has cheated on you and betrayed and said, I'm sorry, can I come back? How how does that broken relationship, how does that inform your broken relationship right now? What does it say? Well, it says, first of all, God says this, love is a commitment. We're in it for the long haul. Oh, when I proposed to my wife 32 years ago and she said yes, she's probably saying some days, what was I thinking? And there's days I've thought that too. And the reality is when you get married, every married person in here has thought that, and you will. Love grows, love has seasons, but commitment sees you through. God says, Israel, you knucklehead people, you're always running off, but I'm committed to you. When God says forever, he means it. So it's commitment. Cheating hurts. And this story isn't acknowledged of that. And God isn't asking you to look past that. He's saying look through it. Look through it. Society's view and God's view different. Society says they cheated on you, dump them. Maybe get some revenge, post some things. Share some secrets. Tweet. <laughs> and if you say you're going to say, "Well, I he said he's sorry and I'm going to take him back." Girl, are you a fool? What is wrong with you? <laughs> well, she said she didn't mean it and she's really sorry. Dude, are you, are you a chump? What? Man up. But God's view is this. He puts his arm around you and holds you and says, yeah, I know that hurts, but... Who of us hasn't cheated or betrayed someone? And didn't we want forgiveness and reconciliation? Here's God's way. First of all, there has to be an accountability for actions. Please, don't take this that, well, I've got to forgive them. No, God gives conditions for Israel. He says wide open, come back, let's work on this, I forgive you, but there's an accountability for our actions. There's damages that are caused that have to be worked on, maybe for years. The person has to have a transformation. You're not supposed to be a doormat or a punching bag. There's accountability. But in God's way, there's forgiveness. Because without forgiveness, there can be no starting over. You have the power. And then work on reconciliation, becoming one again. Let me read very quickly what God thinks of all of the Gomers out there, all of us. He says this in Hosea 2 14 through 16. After he's gotten after them, say, I'm getting rid of you. I'm throwing you out. Oh, man, he's really. You want to see God upset, read the other passages. Won't take time with this. But listen to what he says after all of this. But then, after that, I will win her back once again. I will lead her out into the desert and speak tw- tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there, as she did long ago when she was young. When I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. In that day says the Lord. You'll call me husband. Instead of master. I will take you my wife forever. Showing you righteousness and justice. Unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you. And make you mine. And you will finally know me as Lord. Would you stay in a relationship with someone who cheated on you? Listen to what God says. Walk with him through it. Happily ever after can happen.